guys can go ahead and head out. <clears throat> Xavier's going to be sad that he wasn't here today when they play the song Shelter. You guys know, have, uh, those of you that have kids, like those songs that they kind of pick up on and just kind of sing at home, he'll be in the bathtub and he'll be like, you are the way, you are the truth, you are the breath inside of my lungs. Come on, Wyatt. Oh, man. Gets me going. So, hey, uh, it's been a heavy few weeks. I don't know if you felt it. Um, Justin and I have certainly felt it as we've been writing these sermons. Um, we've been talking about some heavy things and really kind of taking a look at what we've kind of described as kind of this unyielding and challenging uh, words of Jesus that he uses sometimes. You're just like, wow, man. And he talks about the demands of what it means to be a follower of him, and it's, it's been heavy. So um, it's been a sobering look because many times, um, if we're willing to admit it, we all kind of want to just kind of pick and choose the parts of Jesus um, that we want to hear, um, the parts that we want to follow, um, and, and other things, um, you know, we kind of maybe put to the side. In general, as we talked about, we just really just kind of want Jesus on our terms. We want just enough of him to get us out of hell, but not too much of him to really upset or change the carefully laid plans that we have for how we'd kind of like our lives to go. So could you just find just that sweet spot, Jesus, and, and just make it so that I can swallow it? And I hope we're all doing some serious wrestling with where our hearts are in regards to Christ, where we're at in terms of where he sits in our priorities, and is he the primary object of our desire, of our affections, of our allegiances? Is his primacy, his primacy evident to those around us? When other people in our life look at us, would they say that, yes, Jesus is primary in that person's life, evident in the way we spend our time and our money, the way we use our various gifts and abilities? Or is our relationship with Christ just one of many things that we hold dear in our life, equal to or maybe even a little bit less than some other things that we desire in our hearts? And I actually changed our sermon topic for this morning. I came in on Thursday morning and I, honestly, I looked over at the dry erase board of what I was supposed to talk about, and I was like, oh, man, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> it, just, it was going to be another heavy one. And, uh, and so I really felt um, the Spirit kind of leading me to a story that I'd read in my own just personal devotion time with Christ a couple weeks ago um, in the Gospel of Luke. And the story taps into an emotional expression of devotion that's challenging for me. Okay, some of you guys know me better than others, but over the years I've been described as, um, well, most, most people kind of say I'm pretty calm, um, stoic, um, poker face, hard to read, um, what are some other words, measured, controlled. Um, so part of that has to do with my own upbringing. And I lived in a home and kind of grew up in a place where we didn't really talk about emotions. Nobody, or expressed them very much, really. Nobody was really asking me ever, hey, how, how are things going? <laughs> how are you feeling about this thing or that thing in your life? And if emotions were expressed, they usually weren't done in very healthy ways. So as a child, I kind of picked up on the fact that, you know what? Um, expressing emotion doesn't seem to be changing my circumstances at all. So maybe it would be a better use of my energy to just kind of put my head down and just kind of keep focused on the things I want to do to maybe have a different life than what I've been experiencing. Um, 
and emotions can we can just push kind of push those to the side. And um, you know, as a teenager, that might make some sense, uh, but as an adult, it hasn't helped me a whole lot, right? Because I'm surrounded by a lot of other people, not just me, who need to see emotional expressions in their husband or their their dad at times. So as we've discussed earlier in this series and talking about repentance, right? We did a week on repentance and obedience, and we defined repentance as this sincere expression of remorse and regret over the way that our sin has impacted and hurt the lives of other people. Okay, there's a sincerity there. So a vital part of what it means to be saved is that it demands full engagement, not just from our head, but from our hearts as well. It's a holistic endeavor. In other words, vulnerability is essential. Okay, I don't know, how many of you guys have read anything by Brene Brown? A few people, okay. She's kind of this sociological researcher who studies human relationships and the ways that people interact with one another, and she does thousands of interviews with people. She's written some fascinating books, and, and so in one of her books, she talks about in, in people that she says are living kind of full, or she, she describes them as wholehearted lives, she tried to look for what is the common thread or the common denominator amongst those people that, that make them successful in relationships. And the, the one character quality that kept rising to the top was that these people were willing to be vulnerable. Okay, if you want to watch a great TED Talk, the most watched TED Talk ever, watch hers on vulnerability. It's really good. And so here are just a few quotes of, uh, about a vulnerability that she had. Just take a second to, to look those over. Any thoughts on those? Anything that kind of jumps out at you, makes you think, or kind of resonates with what you've seen to be true in your life? Yeah, Warren? Yeah. 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 It's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I just got the picture of like a turtle kind of peeking its head out, you know? And it's like we have those moments in our life where our hearts kind of open up and then we have to kind of decide when it starts to get weird, am I going to stay out here <laughs> or am I going to close back up real quick? We're going to talk a lot about that in, in our story today. Other observations, that was great. Yeah, James.
Okay. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we've talked about courage just for this year. <laughs> Little did we know, right? If you guys go back to January, our word for the year was courage. Little did we know what we had coming, right? And so, yeah, some words just leap off there, right? Risk, pain, courage that all have to do with this, this thing called vulnerability. So we're going to talk a lot more about that. So what does it mean to be saved? <laughs> That's what we've been wrestling with as we've been taking a look at the words of Jesus. And I think it has to include vulnerability, the God of the universe allowed himself to be born helpless, naked, dependent. The God of the universe allowed himself to be arrested and beaten and whipped and mocked and killed by his own creation. Okay, Jesus' life is a study in vulnerability. To follow him then, to be like him, to live as he lived, has to include a vulnerable expression on our part. There is no other way to fully experience the Christian faith. So today we're going to take a look at one of the most vulnerable scenes recorded in the Gospels and see what we can learn from this encounter. So I want you guys to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. It's page 940. Luke 7, we're going to start in verse 36, but first I want to take a look back up at verse 34 to get a little bit of context on people's opinions of Jesus. So in verse 34, <clears throat> Jesus makes the comment, he says, the son of man came eating and drinking and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So it was obvious to people that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Okay, and that's really going to come to bear out in this story today. So let's look at verse 36. It says this, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So this story, this scene, uh, kind of reveals the hearts of two different people, okay? Um, Simon this Pharisee, this, this educated religious leader, um, and then this unnamed woman who's described as sinful, okay? If you read between the lines and read the commentaries, she's, she's probably a prostitute. And as different as those two were, they had something in common, and that's that they were both interested in Jesus, but for very different reasons. So it's widely known that the Pharisees were kind of the primary enemy of Jesus in, in the scriptures. They're usually the people that Jesus is going back and forth with and arguing. They're, they're these guys that, um, you know, I think with, with decent intentions in the beginning of like, we really need to be obedient to, to God's word. And so they're, they're really legalistic rule followers, not only the, the rules in the Old Testament, but they also added several 
thousand man-made rules to that list, and, and they claim and, and are strictly trying to be obedient and following those. Um, but what it's led to is primarily pride in thinking that they're better than everybody else and more holy than others. And they were often shocked at how Jesus went about his ministry. They usually tended to think that Jesus was a little lax on keeping the rules that they thought were important. So most of the time we see them around Jesus, they're, they're there pretty much to just kind of critique what he has to say. They're there to, to kind of catch him and kind of set a trap to kind of catch him in his word so they can build a case against him so they can hopefully bring him for the court and charge him um, and squelch this movement. So for Simon to actually, a Pharisee, to actually invite Jesus into his home um, shows a desire at some level like, hey, I kind of want to figure this guy out. And it's really a pretty risky and brave move on his part, um, at least for his, you know, cred on the street. This was, this was risky. But as the story unfolds, you see that Simon's approach is strictly intellectual and detached. He's here for a good discussion. He's not really interested at all in a relationship with Jesus. Certainly not one that is messy like what we're about to see. As the discussion over dinner carries on, it says that this known prostitute in town comes walking into the home. And for one, it's fairly common that when you've got some kind of teaching discussion going on that, that people can kind of come in and out. That wasn't completely out of the question, but somebody with her reputation that's a little bit risky, and she comes in and stands behind Jesus, and she came with a purpose. She had a plan in mind for how this was going to go, but it was going to take a lot of courage for her to follow through with what she wanted to do. And it says that as she stood there listening to the conversation, she began to weep. And the tears are, are coming down her face and, and dripping off of her chin onto Jesus' feet next to her. And this is the critical moment that we kind of talked about just a second ago. Because it's starting to get awkward. Right? She's starting to cause a scene. And, and so... She has to make a choice here. Have you ever been in that place where you've, you know, maybe you've been at church <clears throat> uh, and you start to feel the tears coming? Or maybe you've been at small group or maybe you've been in a, an intimate conversation with your spouse or a dear friend or, or maybe your child if you have, you know, children that are older and, and you start to feel yourself getting emotional and we all have to make a decision in that moment, right? Like we've got kind of two choices there. We can either like, you know, wipe it away, like shove it down, right? Not today. Turn the spigot off, right? Not going there. Or we can kind of surrender to it and just kind of let the tears come and not really care how messy it gets or who's there and who's watching. Vulnerability. Well, instead of running away in shame, she leans in to the discomfort. And that's a posture choice on her part. It's a humble choice to allow herself to be exposed like this. So this is a story of two hearts. 
And remember that we've talked over the last few weeks that Jesus is in the business. You see it story after story, teacher, teaching after teaching of separating people into those whose hearts are, are really um, surrendering to him, who, who desire to do his will from those who were just around for the show. Or what can Jesus do for me? Kind of like the lepers that I talked about earlier. <laughs> he heals me and then I'm gone. I never come back, right? I got what I wanted from him. And we talked about last week how he brings a sword and he tries to cut and divide who those people are. And as things get increasingly awkward, the weeping woman now ups the ante. It says that she bends down to the ground. She lets her hair down and she starts wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. And guys, to get the context of this, the only way that I can describe it is that this, this is a very erotic imagery, okay? Because it was against the law, basically, to let your hair down in public as a woman. You had to have your hair up. And so it's kind of like similar to like a, a current movie scene or TV show, like where a woman undoes her hair and, you know, then she whips it, you know, side to side. Like, you know things are about to get steamy, Right? When you watch those shows, you're like, oh boy, here we go. So I want you to think about it this way, okay? Imagine, you know, this is going on right now, and a woman comes through the back door, and she just kind of walks slowly down the middle aisle here, and she's weeping, and she's carrying something, but you're not really sure what it is, and she comes up front, and, and right here, she just pops up a massage table. And she, she asked me to take my shirt off and lay down on the table. And for some reason I do, because like free massage, right? I want you guys to know this is supposed to be funny, okay? So if you're thinking this is ridiculous, yes, it is, all right? And then so she, you know, I, I, so I take my shirt off and I lay down on the table and she starts putting oils on my back and she's She's rubbing, she's talking about, oh man, this church has made such a difference in my life, and Pastor Miller, I just want to thank you so much, and all the while, I'm still doing my sermon out the side of my mouth as she's doing this, right? I mean, you want to talk about just, oh my gosh, awkward, right? Awkward for me, for you, hopefully for her, right? It would be awkward and risky for a lot of reasons, but guys, primarily what came to my mind was how risky it was for her to come down this aisle not knowing how I would respond. Like, I could see her coming and know who she is and, you know, maybe identify that's a massage table. We're not doing that here. And I could just be like, direct her right out the side door, um, you know, or get Wick and, and the thugs in the back to come and, you know, rescue, rescue me and get them out of there. Say, hey, this isn't the time or the place for this. I'm doing an important thing here. It's a similar situation, and, and we see how Jesus handles it. It's really interesting. And I said that she had come that day with something in mind. <laughs> you see, the, the tears were spontaneous. And guys, right now, if you could, could just, just wipe out the image of me getting a massage, if you could. I know that might be difficult moving forward, but... The tears were spontaneous, but the perfume that she brought was Intentional. Okay, women with, that had the financial means, they would have these little alabaster jars of perfume that they would wear around their neck. It's a little bit of a, a status symbol, 
okay? This perfume was costly. And the jar had a longer kind of narrow tube at the top. And the really only, the only way to pour out that perfume was to break the neck of the jar. So once you did that, the jar pretty much became useless. Okay, so this, this is a costly decision. It was an extravagant expression. When this prostitute bathed Jesus' feet with this costly perfume. And by doing this, in essence, she's saying, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, and this changes everything for me. And so I'm laying down my most prized possession literally at your feet. This is such a big statement here because she's surrendering to him before she really fully knows who Jesus is. She just knows that there's something different about this man. And there's something different about the way she feels when she's around him. And that's true for a lot of us who started a relationship with Christ. Remember the disciples, when Jesus first called them, right, he he went up to them and he said, follow me, right? Drop your nets, your livelihood, (laughs) go pack your stuff, you're leaving your family and your home, and you're going on the road with me. And I'm sure there were lots of questions like, where are we going? What are we doing? How how are we going to pay for where we're going to stay and the food and all that stuff? How's this going to work? And Jesus says, trust me, (laughs) just follow me, come and see. He wants us to take steps forward in faith. And then he meets us in our obedience. And while the woman is shedding tears and pouring out this precious gift, what is Simon doing? Simon's kind of sitting back, just kind of silently kind of judging the whole scene kind of creating and formulating these words in his, in his mind. He's there to critique. <laughs> like people that come to church to kind of evaluate the pastor's sermons instead of like figuring out, <laughs> is there some truth that I need to apply to my life? <laughs> he doesn't say anything out loud, but Jesus just knows his thoughts. Look at verse 39 again. Right, Simon says, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him. <laughs> And what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner, (laughs) implying that he's not. (laughs) You see, Simon wants a seminar. He wants a podcast. Well, she's looking for a relationship. And their actions toward Jesus come from different understandings of Jesus. Okay? I want you to look at verse 40. Jesus answered him. Even though he didn't ask a question, right? So Simon had to be like, dang, maybe he is a prophet, right? Jesus answered his thoughts. He said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. And those are, a denarii is like a day's wage to a common laborer, okay? And the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You judge correctly, Jesus said. You see, Simon doesn't understand his need for a savior. 
He wants the message. He just doesn't want the messenger. <laughs> he doesn't understand that he's got a debt to repay that he can't. And in this story, Jesus is saying to them and to us, hey, listen, guys, everybody owes. And whether you perceive that your debt is only 10000 or you perceive that it's $10 million, the reality is, is, just like in the story, none of you have enough money to pay him back. Jesus is trying to help Simon see that, that he's no different than this woman. See, because the reality is, is that our debts are all the same amount. <laughs> if you perceive that, you know, you haven't sinned that much and you're a pretty good guy or, man, I'm a horrible mess, the reality is, is that it's not about your actions, it's about your heart. And all of us have a heart that's born in opposition to God, enemies of God, a diseased heart that needs to be transplanted and put a new one in. We're all in the same position. She understood her need. It was painfully obvious to her that she wasn't good. <laughs> While Simon was still kind of playing this game where he was thinking, oh, my moral uprightness, my ability to follow these rules is made me a little better off than other people. You see, Simon was interested enough in Jesus to invite him over, willing to admit, yeah, maybe there's some additional insights that this teacher might have for me that might be good for me to ponder, that might help me in my faith journey. He was like a lot of people that come to church basically to kind of hear the message and think, you know what, I can figure this out. I'm not that far off. I mean, just a, a tweak here or a tweak there, and I'm actually pretty solid. Well, people with that perspective, what they're basically saying is that they can be their own savior. They can save themselves. But that self-help mentality doesn't require a personal encounter with Jesus. It doesn't require yielding, surrendering yourself to his lordship. And as we said many times during this series, we don't get to have Jesus on our terms. You see, Simon is interested, but he's not interested in surrendering. See, we're all here today because we're interested in Jesus. All right? There's lots of other things you could be doing with your time on Sunday morning. So we have that in common. And as we ask the question, what does it mean to be saved in this story, Jesus is telling us that we have to understand that there's a debt to be paid for our sin, the sum total of our rebellion against God, and none of us can repay it. We're out of options. We're at the mercy of the judge. Simon doesn't see his need, and he doesn't appreciate the cost of what it took to relieve his debt. And guys, it's only when we realize that we're screwed <laughs> that we are out of options and that a Savior had to die to pay the debt of our sin, only then will we weep, will we kiss, will we pour out in messy, snot-filled passion our love, our gratitude, our possessions. We lay them down and worship this God who saved us. Because you see, guys, Christianity is a personal thing. It's not just about believing the right things and doing the right things. 
Those are impersonal expressions that don't involve touching him. Remember what Simon was thinking? If he only knew who was touching him, that intimacy. Those are impersonal things without the messy, awkward emotions. But Jesus wants us to be engaged. He wants us to let our hair down once in a while, to let the tears flow because we're beginning to understand our need and we're beginning to understand what it costs to save us. And at some point, just like it did with the woman in this story, when she's standing there listening to Jesus and pondering what he's saying and how that makes her feel, Jesus' love has to wreck us. It's got to wreck us. And our response has to be wholehearted and personal. And so this morning, we have these two characters in this story, and I want to ask, like, which what is your faith? Which, which person does your faith look more like? Is it more like Simon? Kind of this intellectual, detached, cold, impersonal understanding of Jesus and interaction with him? No tears, no joy, no surrender, and so, honestly, no real transformation going on in your life. Because at the end of this scene, for Simon, what he takes away is an interesting discussion and a reprimand. It's pretty much the sum total of what he got out of this. Well, the woman gets way more. Let's take a look at what Jesus says here at the end, verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house you did not give me any water for my feet. Remember, they lived in the time where they're walking around in sandals, dusty feet. So the host is supposed to wash their feet off. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. <laughs> so he acknowledges that this very vulnerable thing that she did was okay. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Wow. Crazy over there, isn't it? What did, this, what did this woman walk away with from this encounter? Okay? What did she gain because of her posture towards Jesus? As you look at what Jesus said, what did she walk away with at the end of this conversation? Just tell me one thing. There's about three or four I'm hoping that we'll get here. Yes, Phil. She walked away being known. Yeah, known and connected. Absolutely. What else? There's some very transactional things that happened here in her faith, Holly. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She walked in extremely scared. I'm going to do this thing. I'm freaked out. How's he going to receive it? What's everybody going to say? And she walks away accepted, right? Yeah. Confirmation of her forgiveness, right? Awesome. Yeah, Matt. She kind of, uh, when we say she walked away, I'm not convinced she walked away at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because she's, Jesus said, go, like, your sins are forgiven, go in peace. If that were me, I'd be like, how do I do that? What do I do? And Jesus said, like, apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm-hmm. So in that space of like, this is totally new for me. I don't, this is going to be frightening. I don't know how to do this. I think as we, we said, we reading between the lines and just getting a good look at like, when he says to people, go in peace or leave your life of sin, the only way we can do that is to actually follow him. Mm-hmm. So if she walks away, she might in turn do exactly what Simon did, come away with these list of things. Yeah. And if she doesn't follow Jesus, yeah. Where's the real transformation? Yeah. And as you follow it, <laughs> I don't think it's a mistake that as you follow it into verse, uh, chapter 8, you get this big list of, oh, there's a lot of women that follow Jesus. Yeah. And I would love to believe that she's one of the many. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So she, she gains this unbelievable connection, right? There were some spiritual things that were true about her that were different, whether it's peace, salvation, forgiveness that had happened. But ultimately, at its core, she gained a relationship with the God of the universe, her creator. She was fully known, fully accepted, fully seen, fully forgiven. And guys, that's, that's, the, that's the risk and the reward of vulnerability, right? Because what happens is, is if I'm in a relationship with Ben, right, and I reveal 5% of my junk to him, and he forgives me and accepts me and embraces me as a brother for that 5%, that I reveal, that's how much of God's love I get to experience, right? But if I come to him and our relationship gets to a place of vulnerability where I just go, here it is. Everything I've ever done and said, I'm not holding anything back. And God uses him to be a conduit of his grace and love and forgiveness of me in that moment. Think about how much greater that vulnerability has given me access to God's grace and forgiveness. How much more I understand the depth of his love for me. Not for the little bit, but for the lot. And so that's why it's so sad when people are so bottled up and afraid and scared or just cold or they don't really want to mess with the feely stuff of Christianity. is because you don't get to experience the depth of God's unbelievable mercy for you. You're limiting what you can receive from others. You see, our ability to love people and to love life hinges on our perception of how much we've been forgiven, right? Jesus says, this woman understands that she's been forgiven a lot, so she loves a lot. If you think that you're not that bad, you're not going to love very well because you're going to think you're better than a lot of other people. And so your ability to extend grace and mercy is just not going to be that great. The woman walks away thinking, I finally found what I've been looking for, or maybe doesn't walk away. (laughs) someone who will love me for who I am, not for what I can do for them. Jesus is saying to all of us, okay, like he did to Simon in the story. Remember, he looks at the woman and he says to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you guys see this woman? 
she gets it. Because when the truth hits her of who Jesus is, what her need is, and the cost that was paid, she doesn't care what people think about her. That's pretty obvious from the time she walked in the door. But it just keeps getting more and more awkward and vulnerable as the story goes on. And she doesn't care. A true sign that we are saved is our willingness to be vulnerable, to love God and love others extravagantly. And I can tell you guys that the older I've gotten, the more I understand the depth of my depravity and my sin and how much it hurts those around me. I get it more. And I also understand the depth of God's love for me and the price that had to be paid to rescue me from the depth of that sin. And the tears come a lot easier at this point in my life than they did when I didn't understand my need and the cost very well. And honestly, I can cry now and I could care less who sees me or what they think about me, <laughs> right? When was the last time you let yourself be wrecked by the gospel? And sometimes, honestly, if you're not used to being very vulnerable or open and expressive like that, you have to pray for the tears. It's okay to pray and say, God, give me feeling. Give me emotion. Because it's not that we, we're, we were created in the image of God, right? So for you to say, I'm not emotional, not if you're a Christian, because you've got a really emotional Savior inside of you that's just begging to come out. Every one of us gets the same Holy Spirit. Amen? Yeah, right? So if, if we're not very emotional, it's because some things have happened to us in life. We've been taught some things about, hey, close it up, keep it in. It's not okay to just be vulnerable and out there. But guys, Jesus wants a wholehearted expression. So I'm going to pray for tears this morning. Watch out. Okay? Let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story.